Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is He. As we remain standing, let's just remember those words. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for us. Worthy is He who is glorified in heaven for us now. Worthy is He. Amen. Do please sit. That was me switching on the mic, by the way, that made the whistle. I brought my friend Stanley. Because in Stanley, I've got a few things. I haven't brought everything that I normally carry in here, otherwise I'd probably need four or five of you to help me carry it. But Stanley gets rather full. But in Stanley at the moment are just a few things. doesn't take a genius to work out what it is, but so that I don't feel I'm all by myself, can somebody tell me what it is? Uh. It's a screwdriver, yes. It's a red screwdriver. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to hold it, because in a minute, that might prove a bit interesting. I'm going to put it on the table. What else have I got in here? Oh, I know. Pair of pliers, yes. Quite fat and chunky. Probably like me a bit, really, aren't they? Fat and chunky. Pair of pliers. Oh, now I better hold this one carefully because I haven't brought its cover. <laughs> a paint pot opener, yeah, okay. What is it supposed to be used for? Goes to show, yes, it's the screwdriver, it's also our paint pot opener, yeah, quite. It's a... Does anybody know what it is? I'm sure everybody knows. It's a chisel, yeah. It's quite sharp, actually. So, uh, as I say, I better be careful about it. That's a Birmingham screwdriver, yes. Somebody else has called me... Uh, yes, I won't actually say what else somebody has called it. Um, does anybody... Know? Come on, what is it? It's a hammer. It's a claw hammer, yes, very precise. It's not a geological hammer or any other hammer, it's a claw hammer. So, I brought those tools with me because they're very special. We've already discovered that they actually get used for doing other things than what they're supposed to do, but they all have their tasks. They all have their purposes. The screwdriver, the pliers the chisel and the hammer. They all have their purposes. But I've also got one other tool in my toolkit that I've brought with me. And because you could spend quite a while working out what it is, I shall just show you. And don't say it's a dentist's drill. It's a drill. Now, I've been assured that I'm not going to blow the system if I do this, so it's your fault, Pete. Now, there is a big difference between this tool and those tools. This tool, because of the one that I've got, needs to have this tail. Needs to be attached to the power. I'm going to take it out, because knowing me, I'll switch the trigger on without thinking. <laughs> And there is a difference then between this one and the others because this one needs to be attached to the electric power. Because that enables this one to work because now it does nothing. No matter how hard I press the trigger, no matter how hard I press it into the wood, I won't actually achieve anything. Because without it being attached to the power, 
And the wise ones amongst you who have got cordless ones of these will say, unless they've got the battery in them, they won't work. And that is often the case with us. And I'm looking at our youngsters as much as our olders. Because unless we are attached to some form of power, we can't work. And yet, we need to make sure that we're not only attached to the power, but we also need to make sure that when we're in the right hands, we can actually achieve something. A master builder, a master carpenter, can use one of these very, very carefully and very creatively. A master craftsman, a carpenter, would never dream of opening a tin paint one of these. <laughs> because he would want to use it for the purpose it was intended. And each and every one of us, no matter how old or how young we are, has a purpose. And God wants to use us for that purpose. Sometimes we do find ourselves opening tins of paint when we should be actually just making things. Sometimes we do find ourselves doing things which are not really what we would like to do. But if we allow God to work through us and to put his hands around our handle and to make sure that if we are like the drill, plugged in properly, then we can actually be full of power. And that power is very similar to the Holy Spirit. We'll be talking about that as adults and grown-ups a bit later. But that's where we're at. So remember that we're like a tool for God. You might be tall and thin like a screwdriver. Might be a bit short and stumpy. Some of us might be a bit hard-headed and just go around thumping things. But without it, we wouldn't achieve what we're meant to do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have made us the way we are, but you don't want us to just be still and remain as we are when you give us your power. Help us, Father, to be attached to your power of your Holy Spirit, to move in the ways that you want us to move and to do the things that you want us to do. Whether we're young, middle-aged or older. Amen. Let's move this out of the way. Didn't blow the system, Pete, you were right. If I stand around here, that would be best. We're going to sing, when the Spirit of the Lord is with him.
make our offering so we'll if you can just think of what God wants you to give this morning so let's make our
Let's just thank God for his generosity to us and for his blessing on our offering of these. Father God, we just ask that you will bless these tokens of our love for you, that you will bless them for your work in this place and in your world beyond. We ask, Father, that you will enable them to do your work wherever it is required. Amen. And now the youngsters will be leaving to do their studies and worship. We're going to look at one of Paul's letters, or a chapter in Paul's letter. And this week we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit. Next week I'm with you again, so we'll look at the fruits of the Spirit next week. So we'll be looking at another chapter of Paul's letters next week. But this week we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, which Anne's going to read to us. Gifts from the Holy Spirit. Now, concerning what you wrote about the gifts from the Holy Spirit, I want you to know the truth about them, my brothers. You know that while you were still heathen, you were led astray in many ways to the worship of lifeless idols. I want you to know that no one who is led by God's Spirit can say a curse on Jesus, and no one can confess Jesus is Lord unless he is guided by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit gives them. There are different ways of serving, but the same Lord is served. There are different abilities to perform service, but the same God gives ability to everyone for their particular service. The Spirit's presence is shown in some way to each person for the good of all. The Spirit gives one person a message full of wisdom, while to another person, the same Spirit gives a message full of knowledge. One and the same Spirit gives faith to one person, while to another person he gives the power to heal. The Spirit gives to one person the power to work miracles, to another the gift of speaking God's message, and to yet another the ability to tell the difference between gifts that come from the Spirit and those that do not. To one person he gives the ability to speak in strange tongues, and to another he gives the ability to explain what is said. But it is one and the same Spirit who does all this. As he wishes, as he wishes, he gives a different gift to each person. Christ is like a single body which has many parts. It is still one body, even though it is made up of different parts. In the same way, all of us, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slaves or free, have been baptised into the one body by the same Spirit, and we have all been given the same Spirit to drink. For the body itself is not made up of only one part, but of many parts. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not keep it from being part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not keep it from being part of the body. If the whole body were just an eye, how could it hear? And if it were only an ear, how could it smell? As it is, however, God put every different part in the body just as he wanted it to be. There would not be a body if it were only one part. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So then, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor can the head say to the feet, well, I don't need you. On the contrary, we cannot do without the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. And those parts that we think aren't worth very much are the ones which we treat with greater care. While the parts of the body which don't look very nice are treated with special modesty, which the more beautiful parts do not need. God himself has put the body together in such a way as to give greater honour to those parts that need it. And so there is no division in the body, but all its different parts have the same concern for one another. If one part of the body suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. If one part is praised, all the other parts share its happiness. All of you are Christ's body, and each one is a part of it. In the church God has put all in place, 
in the first place apostles, in the second place prophets, and in the third place teachers, then those who perform miracles, <coughs> followed by those who are given the power to heal, or to help others, or to direct them, or to speak in strange tongues. They are not all apostles, or prophets, or teachers. Not everyone has the power to work miracles, or to heal diseases, or to speak in strange tongues, or to explain what is said. Set your heart, then, on the more important gifts. Best of all, however, is the following way. Amen. <coughs> Thank you, and should we have a time of prayer? <coughs> Let us all pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your merciful love, mm. the symbols of which are set out before us this morning, as we remember the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, the resurrection, that we may be made reconciled to you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that. <clears throat> Lord, we pray for your world. We think of the situation in places such as Afghanistan and Iraq, where there is still unrest and trouble, and people are losing their lives on a daily basis. Lord, we may not know the answers to these situations, but we know that you do. And we just bring these areas to you now. We think too of the world's response to Northern Korea and the unrest that that has caused. <coughs> we think too of Palestine and Israel and the constant unrest that is there. We also thank you, Lord, for Mark, and we pray for him this morning, and for the fellowship of knowledge, as they start out on their journey together. <clears throat> Lord, it is good to realise that, sharing with them yesterday, that not only do we sing maybe the same songs, we read the same Bible, but above all, Lord, we worship and serve the same God. And so we think to it also with the other churches in Persia, those other Christians that are meeting this morning, worshipping and praising you. We thank you for David who has come from the Abbey this morning to lead us. And we pray that his message that he brings us will not only feed and teach us, but you will bless him as he brings it to you. When we think of our church too, we <coughs> thank you that Tim and Emily have had a baby boy, yeah. a baby boy called George, and we entrust them in your care And for this fellowship too, Lord, we are here <coughs> this morning to worship you, but in so doing, Lord, we wish to discern your will that we may follow. And we have this promising testimony that we shall see the great works that thy hand will do and that we sit patiently and wait on you. So, Heavenly Father, we know that you are in control and that it is your will we are following. to you and we ask that you would bless us as we carry on your work in this corner of your kingdom. Amen. Amen, Lord. <coughs> I promise the musicians I'll put it back. 
good to be here, as I said earlier. It's good to share and good to share worship together. It was once reported that at a gathering of Church of England bishops, Neotis came through that the Holy Spirit had resigned from the Church of England. (laughs) And a couple of young bishops, some new bishops, were bemoaning the fact, were worried what that would mean. But they were soon calmed by an older bishop who said, don't worry, we'll just carry on as usual. That, sadly, is often the case in a lot of the Christian church. We carry on as usual without acknowledging the work and the power of the third person of God. God, the Holy Spirit. He's often seen one that is unnecessary, the one that can be left out, the one that we don't have to fathom about too much, because... We can just about understand God as Father, as Creator, as Lord of everything. And we can, of course, understand Jesus as the person who came into our world so that we, in turn, could be made one with God. But God the Holy Spirit, well, that's something else. It's like some people feel about electricity. Well, it's there, but we're not really sure how to handle it. Maybe that is not a bad move either. But Paul, in his writings, and the early church that we read of in the New Testament and in subsequent writings of the early church, took the Holy Spirit very, very seriously. He was the one that was going to change the world. And here, in that first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, Paul gives it us straight. He gave it to the Corinthians straight, and he gives it to us, each and every one of us here in Pershaw, wherever we happen to be, he gives it to us straight too. We know by the way, that Paul founded the church at Corinth on his second missionary journey. We also know that he spent 18 months with them before he moved on. Mark stayed a bit longer than that, didn't he? But but that is it. He stayed there 18 months founding the church at Corinth and then he left to carry on with his missionary work. But he heard the great wine work, the great vine worked just as well in those days as it does today that some in the church at Corinth started to backslide as we would say. They were starting to do things which weren't quite in keeping with what the good news message had been and so he wrote them a letter. It's not the one that we call 1 Corinthians. He wrote a letter to them earlier. The first letter he sent to them was in response to that grapevine news. And he makes reference to it. We know that he must have done this because he makes reference to a letter that he'd previously written in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. He says, I have written to you before about. And so here, he is now not writing to them for the first time. He in fact is writing to them in reply, if you can follow this, in reply to his letter to them because as often happens when we receive a letter, we don't always understand it. And if, you'd, if the messages that we hear in Paul's letters are anything to go by, then I'm not surprised that the Corinthians didn't firstly understand what he was saying, because Paul has a wonderful way with words. But he then received a response from them because of their misunderstandings, and they took the opportunity to ask them some new questions, or ask him some new questions. And it's those questions in their letter that Paul is addressing in what we call the first letter to the Corinthians. And Paul writes in this chapter 12 some very important facts about the gifts of the Spirit. About the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives 
to each and every one of us. Each and every one here is able and needs to be ready to receive those gifts of the Spirit. He calls them not gifts, he calls them presents. Presents in the same way that we would receive a birthday present. He calls them the charismata, the gifts, the presents that are given completely freely from the grace of God. And I suppose if I put a three-point plan, and some of you probably need a three-point header, there are three S's that will come over and over again in what I'm going to share this morning. The first is that there is a source for these gifts. That's S-O-U-R-C-E, not the one that you put on your chips and on your fries or whatever you happen to want to call them. There is a source for these gifts. The second is that they are there to serve. So they are a source, there's a source, there's there for service. And the third element is that they need to be seen in working. They need to be seen to have a purpose in what they are doing. So there needs to be a source, there needs to be service, and they need to be seen. There needs to be an outcome for their working. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul lists certain gifts of the spirits. They are not exhaustive. It's not exhaustive. Paul also writes to the church at Rome, and there is an overlap between the gifts that he refers to in his letter to the church at Rome and the gifts that he lists in the church to Corinth. He also writes about the gifts of the Spirit to the church at Ephesus. So you can see it wasn't just a one-off. He was very anxious that the whole known church's growth would know about the gifts of the Spirit. And then, in verse 7 of this chapter, we realise why those gifts are given. They are come from God for the common good. They're for the common good. They're for our well-being. And very importantly, we are told to seek. So if I wasn't a mathematician, I could have added a fourth, couldn't I? A fourth S. We are told to seek the gifts of the Spirit. So what are those gifts, as recalled in 1 Corinthians 12? Well, if you've got a Bible, you can have a look at them. They are mentioned in chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. To one there is given the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gift of healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation. And then he moves on in verse 28. He says this, There are firstly apostles, then prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, which moves back to what he's already mentioned. To those having gifts of healing, again a repeat of what he's already referred to. Those with gifts of administration. How many of you have prayed for the gift of administration? I mean, it's not the one gift of the Spirit that most people go around saying, Lord, give me the gift of administration. And yet I know several places where it would definitely come in useful. And those speaking in different kinds of tongues, again, are all apostles, he goes on, are all teachers, are all prophets. So we have wisdom, we have knowledge, we have faith, we have healing, we have miraculous powers, and we have prophecy. We have discernment, we have tongues, and we have interpretation, as well as those other gifts. And each and every one of us is asked, is really made to think about which gift we need to seek God for. Because each gift is given for the common 
if we were all here full of the gift of one of those, then we would probably find that this church here was very unstable. If, however, there was a gift that was missing, we would equally find that it was unstable. It's important, Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, as he says to the church here in Persia, that we need to seek each and every one of those gifts. The gift of wisdom. Wisdom not in its human sense necessarily, but in wisdom in the sense that we read of in the Old Testament of Solomon. Seeking wisdom when those two women come to him, two mothers come to him. One whose child has died and the other whose child has been taken away. And they come to him and say, Can I have my child? His child's mine. No, he's mine. He's mine. He's mine. And they come to Solomon and say, You decide. And Solomon, in that rather ruthless fashion, kings of Israel, I suppose, says, give me a sword. And the mother whose child is alive says, the other one can have it. And the one whose child has already died says, no, 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 neither of us are going to have this child. Cut him in two. That sort of wisdom is the sort of wisdom that we are asked to seek God for by the power of his Holy Spirit. Wisdom to see what is correct And what is going to work? It's not wisdom that comes from just book learning. It's wisdom that comes from knowing God's very presence in us through the power of his spirit. We are called also to have knowledge. Knowledge of what God's purpose is in our life and in the world to come. I'm not going to go through each and every one of us, uh, one of the Otherwise, we'll be here until next Thursday week. But, just looking at one or two of them. Gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. We hear of healing in so many different ways. It's quite interesting, in the Old Testament, the gift of healing is referred to as something that is God-given. But it's also given through the medical profession, the doctors of the time, but it's also given through God's own handiwork. And I think we sometimes ignore one at the peril of the other. It is clear in the Old Testament, as it is clear in the New Testament, that it is not a case of either or. It's a question of both and. And I think that is vital for each and every one of us. Those of us who might find ourselves saying, well, God will heal, I'm not going to go near a doctor. And those who say, I'm not going to, going to pray about this, I'm just going to go and see the doctor. We need to have both and. Because the whole nature of spiritual healing, of wholeness of healing, is a both and. And we can seek God's guidance as to whether we have the gift of healing in relation to other people. And that is equally valid. And vital. It's also important to bear in mind that Jesus promised us that we will do greater things than he did. In John chapter 12, verse, uh, John chapter 14, verse 12, he tells us that we will do greater things than he has done. Some of us find that very scary. I think all of us find it very scary, to be precise. That Christ says to us, that we are going to be able to do things which are greater than he has done in his earthly life. Equally, how many of us are called to be prophets? Silence. No, seriously, we are called to be prophets because we need to be outspoken We need to foretell. Prophesying doesn't mean telling what the future is going to hold. You've heard that over and over again, I hope. That it's not prophesying what's going to happen. Yes, occasionally that does take place. We see of it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We read of various prophets who could tell, who could use what they see God telling them about the future to alter the behaviour in the present. 
but it is also the capacity and the need to actually foretell, to be directive about what God is saying in this society, in this time, in this place. It's quite fascinating, isn't it, that at Pentecost we read and we hear of the prophecy of Joel being reused. And I'm a bit concerned about it because I classify myself here as a particular category and you'll understand why in a minute. We're told that young men see visions and that old men dream dreams. I really despair for the (laughs) middle-aged. Young men see visions, old men dream dreams. But we're told that we need to do that. That is what Joel prophesied and that is what Peter says comes into fruition through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we need to be. It's also vital, is it not, that we understand that when a gift of the Holy Spirit is manifested and used, that we test it. Paul does say quite categorically that all the spirits need to be tested. That when a gift of the Spirit is used and manifested, it needs to be tested. And there's a, a wonderful book by Arnold Bittlinger, written in German uh, and translated, he hastens to add. Um, and Bittlinger says this, that Paul emphasises what a genuine gift of the Spirit really amounts to. The gift of the Spirit is there and given for the common good. It never seeks to separate and disunite. It seeks to unite the church in the sense of the common good of the church. Secondly, Bittlinger writes, it does not contradict, the gift of the Spirit does not contradict what Jesus has already done. He does not want to be in conflict with what we already have read about and what we have already seen in the gifts of what Jesus has already done. And thirdly, The gift of the Spirit always, and we read of this at the beginning of that chapter, in chapter 12, it always expresses the Lordship of Christ. The gift of the Spirit always establishes and expresses the Lordship of Christ. So I ask each and every one of us here this morning to seek the common good, to seek a gift of the Spirit, to seek what the Spirit wants to give you, to pray hard and earnestly for what that gift might be. In 1 Corinthians 12, some would say, as far as the church is concerned, that they are the more contentious of the gifts. And yet, they are also very much gifts that God wants to give each and every one of us. We need to acknowledge the source of the gift. We need to use that in service. And we need to make sure that that gift has an outcome, has a purpose, and therefore can be seen at work in us. I'm going to spend a moment or two in silence. I want us all to pray quietly. I want us to think through what we heard when Anne read the passage to us. And if there's anything that I've said that has triggered thought, pray through that thought. Pray it deeply. And as we turn in a, in a few moments to communion, I want us to Just seek what God wants to give you. I'm going to ask the musicians if they will come and play. We're going to sing and be still for the presence of the Lord. And then we're going to have another time of just listening to some music before we move to communion.
gather around this table because we are invited to come and share in this meal. That is the great joy that we have of sharing in what God has provided for us. And Paul, in the chapter before the one that we just heard, read to us, writes this to the church at Corinth. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance that Christ died for us, we also take part in this meal with broken bread and broken lives which we have confessed to him to be made whole. And so I invite those who gather around this table to share in this bread. the same way after supper he took the cup and again having blessed it he said take this cup this is the cup of the new covenant the new relationship the new covenant of being in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me And as Paul writes, for whoever takes this bread and drinks this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in all his glory. And so we take the cup and we will drink together when all have received.
And so we drink this wine in remembrance that Christ died for us, remembering that he will come again. For Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Amen. And so we sing our final hymn, which is, O Breath of Life, Come Sweeping Through Us. Let's offer one another the words of the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And that wonderful passage from Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless us. Change slightly. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. The Lord turn his face towards us and give us his peace, now and always. Amen. <laughs>